grab your Bibles and open up to Acts chapter 23, verse 23. Acts chapter 23, verse 23. The, sum the summary of the sermon today in two words. If you want to write these down, this is the entire sermon. Trust God. T-R-U-S-T space G-O-D exclamation point. Right now, something or many things in your life are making you feel like you cannot trust God. You have health problems that keep you awake at night or you're caring for someone else who has health needs. You have work problems that have gone on for far too long, and you're upset and exhausted. You have family problems that boiled over again, and Christmas is coming. You have financial burdens because of surprise costs and perhaps some decisions you regret. You have people you lost who either passed away or moved away or just walked away, and it still hurts. And you have the ongoing problem of you. You battle fear and guilt and greed and lust and envy and doubt. You are not where you want to be. And beneath all your problems, you often struggle to understand where God is or was, or will be in all of it. Because of that, you often feel like you cannot trust God. The whole point of the sermon today is just two words, trust God. The encouragement we get is from a powerful story where the Apostle Paul has to trust God because he is facing certain death. If God doesn't move, he will die. And because God takes care of Paul and rescues him from certain death, you and I can and must trust God. I put together a picture here of Paul's map to Rome. God promised to get Paul to Rome. And I put this slide together to show you everything that's going to happen between when God said, I'm going to get you to Rome, and when Paul actually got to Rome. And I'm going to show you, this will come up each week. Where are we at? Well, we went through the mob attack in the temple, check. Paul was almost tortured by Romans, check. Then the Sanhedrin trial ended in chaos, check. Now, 40 assassins planned to kill him. That's where we left him. 40 assassins planned to kill him. That's what's happening today. We'll see a stealth night military transfer, then a hearing before Governor Felix, then private meetings with Felix and Queen Drusilla, then his case will be delayed and he'll be left for another Governor Festus, then rulers will plan to ambush him again, then Festus will offer him a crooked reed trial, then Paul will appeal to Caesar. He'll have a hearing before King Agrippa II after he was pronounced not guilty. Then he'll be lost at sea. There'll be a shipwreck. Roman soldiers will try and kill him on the shipwreck. He'll be marooned on the island of Malta. Then a, a fatal snake bite will almost take his life. Then he will finally 
arrived safely in Rome. Now, because God will rescue Paul from certain death again and again and again and again and again, you can trust God. Let's pray. Father, I know there are people in this room who are struggling to trust you. They're struggling to believe you will be faithful. They're struggling to know why you haven't come through for them yet, and they're struggling to be convinced that you will. Lord, today, teach us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Acts 23, 23. Here's what it says. So the tribune, who's also like the commander of the Roman forces, got word that this, uh, this 40-plus group, band of assassins, are going to kill Paul. They couldn't get him in the trial legally, so they are going to take him out in, under the cover of darkness. The tribune finds out about this through Paul's nephew because God is good. And we pick up the story in verse 23. Then he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias, that's his name, to his excellency the governor Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. All right, now, if you remember the story from last week, he's fibbing a little, isn't he? He's leaving some things out, isn't he? Like when he chained Paul, a Roman citizen, without a trial and almost tortured him. He's leaving some things out. Verse 28, And desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused about questions for their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. Did you hear that? Charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. This is an innocent man. When it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. On the next day, they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from. When he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. The first point of this sermon as we follow Paul's journey focuses on the travel. Write this down, number one. God provided for Paul's travel. God provided for Paul's travel. Uh, he should not be alive. Okay, when 40 people take a suicide oath that we will not eat until Paul is dead, uh, you're going to die. You're going to die. The moment you are transported you are a dead man because these men are hungry. Do you, do you get hangry, men? How long does it take before you're not yourself? There's Snickers commercials about this, okay? You're not you when you're hungry. They're not just plotting to kill him. They're not going to eat until it's done, all right? So he's a dead man unless he gets a military escort out of the city. Is God good or what?
God provided for Paul's travel. This is a pretty awesome way to travel. It says here, two centurions, get ready, 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen. That's like half of the entire force, a thousand soldiers in the whole city. You got close to 500 soldiers escorting you all the way up northwest to Caesarea. Here's one of my favorite pictures I found of Roman um, military transporting. This is like from a modern day recreation of what they look like. I don't know if they wore tiger headdresses, but I really like the thought that they did because that guy looks really scary. This is God's plan to transport Paul to safety. What would that look like today? Imagine if 40 people were starving themselves to death before they killed you. And then here's the next picture. This showed up at your front door to take you to your next destination. Hey, wouldn't that be awesome? And, and isn't our God awesome? Do you trust him? Because if you needed it, he could provide you with a 500 soldier special forces military escort. Wow, God is amazing. So God provided for Paul's travel. And write this down, therefore the mob action backfired. They were the ones guilty of stirring up the city. They are the ones guilty of plotting in the darkness. And this whole thing backfired. They thought they could take him out. They, they kind of tried in the trial. But before the mob tried to take him out in the temple. And now the 40 band of assassins are going to go hungry. Poor fellas. And their poor wives. Do you know what I'm talking about, ladies? What's going on in your home? Well, my, home, my uh, husband took this dumb starvation oath before he killed this man, so he's not eating. He's not happy. Well, where is this guy? They just took him by military transport away. You're going to have an unhappy holidays. So the mob action backfired, and then write this down. The, assassin, the assassination plot was revealed. A nephew heard about it, told Paul. Paul told the commander. The commander found out about it. All of this backfired. It got the commander in big trouble because he knew about it and he had to act on it. And it got the mob in big trouble because they are piling up reasons they should not be trusted. So this is all backfiring. The command, and so write this down. The commander was in trouble. The commander was in trouble. He has to follow the law, especially with Roman citizens, and he didn't, so now he has to clear himself. Here's a picture of what this guy could have looked like. Uh, this is like a tough dude who's in charge of like a thousand troops. This is nobody to mess with. And look, if he wants to torture you, he'll torture you. If he wants to get information out of you, he's got no trouble doing that. But he made a major, major blunder. He chained a Roman soldier and he almost tortured him. He's in big trouble. He knows it. Now this plot comes to light and this is his chance to clear his name. That's why in the letter, do you have kids? Sometimes kids leave things out. Do you have kids who leave things out when they tell you stories of them getting in trouble? You ever have that? It's like, wait a minute, what do you mean that person got so mad at you? Why did they get so mad? I don't even know. They leave things out. This guy's leaving things out. Verse 26, to his excellency, Governor Felix, this verse 27, this man was seized by the Jews, was about to be killed when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him. He left out and put him in chains. He just goes right to having learned he was a Roman citizen. He also left out the torture part, right? People just, they cover themselves, don't they? And then he, you know, he follows up with, I found out this plot, tried to give him a fair trial. So this commander's in trouble because of the mob. The mob put him in a compromising situation. Do you see how God is using all of this to backfire and to get Paul safely where he's going? 
God provided for Paul's travel. The mob action backfired. The assassination plot was revealed. The commander was in trouble. So write this down. Do you trust God to protect you? Do you trust God to protect you? Now, when Paul was being beaten to death by the mob, he didn't know the whole story. When he was about to be tortured by the Romans, he was probably wondering if he was going to die. But once time passes, Paul can look back and he can realize that God was in control of every piece. In fact, every piece was instrumental to get him that military, military escort where he was going. There had to be the broken pieces of it to drive that commander to do the right thing. You might not understand how it's all working together right now, but you have to trust God because it will all make sense in the end. So do you trust God to protect you based on what you're reading about, based on Paul's amazing fleet of Humvee transportation through the night? Do you realize God can and will do that for you? That he will protect you. I don't know what you're afraid of. It's probably not a starving band of 40 assassins, right? But whatever it is you're afraid of, do you see the wow God in this story? And regardless of what you fear, and especially if you're being persecuted for your beliefs or your behavior as a Christian, do you trust God because he can protect you? And do you see that he will guide you where you need to go? I don't know where you need to get. Often people are struggling with the reality that they are here and they need to get here. I can't get there. Paul needs to get to Rome. Here's a picture of Rome. Glorious city, height of civilization. This is where God said Paul's going. You're going there to tell them about me. That's the promise. Paul needs to get there. And God, one crazy step at a time, is getting Paul there. And I don't know where your there is, but God is getting you there. He's getting you there. So God provided for Paul's travel. Do you, do you trust God to protect you and to get you from here to there? What are you afraid of? Why are you struggling to trust him? And are you willing, whether you're at the front end and you know there's going to be a long road, or you're smack dab in the middle of it, you're like, it's total chaos. Uh, are you willing in advance to say, but I trust him. I trust him to protect me and to get me to where I need to be. I trust him. Are you willing in your heart to say that with resolve based on the story that we see in scripture here? God provided for Paul's travel. Okay, he is not out of the danger zone yet. So write this down. God protected Paul on trial. First the travel, now the trial. First the travel, now the trial. So in chapter 24, verse 1, it says, And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul. All right, so where are we now? Here's a few pictures from Caesarea. They're in Herod's palace on the coast. And so the picture on the left shows a then and a now. So a then, this is what this amazing city looked like, a port city. Caesarea was the Roman capital of Israel. So this is where Rome put its capital. Caesarea, obviously named after a Caesar. And then Herod's palace jutted out into the sea. You can see it over to the left there on the upper left picture, and you can see it to the right there. Um, 
And so this was a beautiful, glorious palace. Paul is probably being held there or near there in Herod's praetorium in the prison. And then the, the ruins of what's left of that city are in the lower left. And you can see Herod's palace, how it's just this, this rubble now extending out to sea. I think we've got another picture. Can we show that one? Um, is that, that's the only one we have? Okay, that's cool. So you can see the rubble in the lower left there, and you can see how Herod's palace is now nothing, but at the time it was glorious, his seaside resort. So that's where they are. And now, now the Jews show up with the high priest, and they lawyered up. They've got Tertullus, he knows his stuff, and Paul is doomed. And so they're going to make their case against Paul. Verse 2, And when they had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation in every way and everywhere, we accept this with all gratitude. Now, what's that called? Flattery! Oh, most excellent Felix. Now, look, this guy was not good. He was oppressive. He was mean. He was, he was overbearing. And so the Jews did not like him. He's going to get called back because of uprisings in his land soon. But for now, they're flattering him. Verse 4, But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. Briefly. Let's get this done quickly before lunch, shall we? For we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. So the charges are serious. These are capital crimes. They want to kill Paul. Write this down. They brought false charges in a crooked manner. They brought false charges in a crooked manner. Powerful attorney, clear strategy. They wanted him dead. Legally or illegally, they want him dead. They want him transferred back to Jerusalem. They'll kill him on the way, or they'll kill him in their trial. That's what's happening here. They have big problems, though. The charges are serious. They say in verse 5, this man is a plague. He's a troublemaker. Rome tolerates no threats. Stirs up riots among the Jews all over the world. He's got connections, and he's starting this empire-wide uprising and he's a ringleader of the sect of the nazarenes he's got this new revolutionary group of religious zealots that are causing trouble and he even tried to profane the temple in verse six he came in and tried to desecrate our place of worship these are all capital crimes he can and he should be killed felix should say sounds like a slam dunk to me let's get this guy off the map Rome will hear, I defended it against another threat. The Jews who I rule will be happy with me. Let's get lunch. Those poor 40 assassins will finally be able to eat. Verse 8, verse 9, or verse 10 is where we're at. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied. Okay, let's pause there. So they brought false charges in a crooked manner. Um, they, their case has holes that are problematic. 
So they can't prove the charges they're making because they're false. And Lysias already said in his letter, the commander, that Paul's not guilty and not doing anything deserving of imprisonment. Because of that, Felix has a problem. He's been told this is an innocent man. He also knows they were plotting to kill him. He knows this is a dirty trial. So these guys have an uphill battle. And therefore, they have to work harder because Felix is in a pinch. Now, let's just camp on this for a little while. They brought false charges in a crooked manner. Maybe you know or maybe you are experiencing this special test, this unique anguish. Maybe you have been falsely accused of things that aren't true about you. It could happen in your family with relatives, and they know better. And it can happen at your job with people, and it can happen just, it can happen in the church, but people are saying false things about you. And, and they're not true, and they can't prove them, but they're still saying them. That is a unique test, and that is going to provoke you to do sinful things. Paul gives us a role model here of how to maintain his integrity and to trust God when he is falsely accused. If you have been or if you are being falsely accused, are you trusting God? Or are you going to war? Are you breaking apart? Are you unable to bear that trial? It, it is uniquely tempting when you are being falsely accused to strike the rock. I would say this, because I've lived this before as well. A good way to think about false accusations when they're happening is when you were a kid growing up, do you remember that vanishing ink? How many of you remember that vanishing ink where you can get it at the trick shop and you go up to somebody and you squirt it on them? It's deep purple, right? Especially when they got a white shirt on. Oh my goodness, watch out. Boom, what did you do to me? And you could squirt it all over. <laughs> and then what happens? What happens? It just slowly disappears. Once it mixes with the air, there's a chemical reaction and it just starts to vanish. I would just remember this the next time you're falsely accused or if it's happening right now, all they are doing is squirting this vanishing ink all over you. And it doesn't matter what it says because it's not true. Now, anyone who's foolish enough to read this and then say, I can't believe that about you and run off is going to miss the vanishing part. Because once it hits the air and gets out into the open, it's going to be shown that it's not true. And with time, it's just going to vanish. And you will be vindicated. Now, the foolish people who ran off and believed the vanishing ink, maybe they come back and listen to the truth, maybe they don't. You can't control that. But I would say, if you're being falsely accused, just wait, because it's vanishing ink. It's not true. They can't prove it. And listen, trust God to wipe it all away, because he will. Just give it time. They brought false charges in a crooked manner. Trust God when you're falsely accused of being a plague, a troublemaker, a rioter, leader of a radical sect. Trust God. Write this down. Paul acted with great integrity and faith. Paul acted with great integrity and faith. He was rational. He was composed. He was godly. Let's read what he has to say. He says in verse 10, governor nodded for him to speak. Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. 
They did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. They are lying. He says, Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you that according to the way, that's Christianity, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept. There will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings while I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you to make an accusation, should they have anything against me, or else let these men say what wrongdoing they have found. When I stood before the council, other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. Let's unpack this. Paul acted with great integrity and faith. He's rational, I'm innocent, they can't prove what they're saying, and there's holes in their case. It's really the Ephesian Jews who, remember, tried to kill him in Ephesus when they rioted for hours and couldn't kill him. Now they tried to get him in Jerusalem, they couldn't get him there either. They should have showed up here and been the ones to bring the accusation. They didn't. If they had, then it would have come up that there's case law in the Roman Empire, both in Ephesus and other cities, where their case falls apart. So they're really being careful here. It's likely that they didn't bring these people on purpose because it would have further weakened their case. When you don't bring the witnesses, you know you've got a problem with your case. Am I right? Should we bring the witnesses or not? No! That's really unusual legal strategy. So they've got a weak case and they're even making it weaker. Paul was following the law. He brought a gigantic offering for the poor. He believes in the fulfillment of the law. He was purifying himself in the temple, and he didn't do what they said. He's an innocent man. Even the council in Jerusalem said, we found nothing wrong with this man. Hey, you can trust God. You can trust God when all of these false things are being said, and you're waiting for the process to play out. Write this down. Will you witness with integrity when treated unfairly? That's what Paul's doing. Will you witness with integrity when treating unfair, treated unfairly? Paul gives us a great example of what it means to stand your ground without fear when you're witnessing for Christ. Under fire. When he first got saved, he had to flee from Jerusalem many years ago because they wouldn't accept his testimony. Then he went to Damascus. And remember, they had to lower him out of a wall in a basket because the king wanted to kill him there. Then in Iconium, he faced a mob riot, and then he was stoned to death in Lystra and practically brought back from the grave. He was jailed in Philippi. Remember, the earthquake freed him there. Then there was a riot in Ephesus, plots in Greece, and now time and time again, a mob tried to kill him in Jerusalem. Wow! What a great role model he is to you and me of being a bold, courageous, fearless witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow! So number one, God provided for Paul's travel. Number two, God protected Paul on trial. And then the story continues. Number three, you can write this down. God prevented harm for two years. God prevented harm for two years. So now he's in the custody of Felix. 
who it says here has a rather accurate knowledge of the way. Felix has a rather accurate knowledge of the way. He put them off, saying, when Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. That right there is a miracle. That right there is a miracle. So the fact that he had the military escort and God saved him and the travel was a miracle. The fact that this trial wasn't wrapped up by noon and we can all go home with Paul the revolutionary dead was a miracle. Is he out of danger yet? No, because now he has to deal with the Herod crime family. You uh, have heard of the Herods, am I right? Have you heard of the Herods? Felix was a governor who married into the Herod crime family. Who's your judge? If you were called into Cook County, you want to know who your judge is. Who's your judge and is he crooked, right? This, this guy married into a crime family. I've got a slide here. I developed this myself because I had to figure it all out. So, uh, okay, here it is. Follow me. We're going to go top to bottom. Herod the Great did not wish you a Merry Christmas. What did he do? He killed all the babies in Bethlehem. Okay, wise men came to him. Messiah's here. He's the first one who should have gone and crowned the newborn king. So uh, this is Felix's wife's great-great-grandpa. We're in the upper left here. You see I put a little X next to the Christmas tree. He tried to kill Christmas. Okay, Herod the Great had ten wives. He killed Felix's wife's great-great-great-grandma along with their grandpa, and his brother, okay? And um, so their child was Herod Agrippa I. This is Felix's wife, Drusilla's dad, okay? So this is Felix's father-in-law. Felix's father-in-law was Herod Agrippa I. He is the one a few chapters ago who killed James the Apostle, and God ordered an angel to strike him dead because he appeared in front of these people in Tyre with his shiny silver robes, and they said, this is the voice of a god, not a man. And God executed him, killed him by an angel, and he was eaten with worms over a one-week period. It was disgusting because of his blasphemy. He was acting like the messianic king. So dad, Felix's father-in-law, got killed by an angel about 14 years ago. Now, to follow this family, wicked crime family tree, Felix's wife, Drusilla's aunt, was Herodias. Do you remember her? And Drusilla's half-cousin was Salome. This is over on the right. They killed John the Baptist and put his head on a platter, tried to kill baby Jesus, did kill John the Baptist, killed John the Apostle. And now you've got Herod Agrippa II. He's king. He's coming to town next week. Then you've got his wife, Bernice, who's also his sister. They're, I don't even think they're married. They've got this strange incest relationship. And now you've got Felix, who married into this madness. I don't know how you feel about your in-laws, but Felix has it worse. You feeling me here? Okay. That's Paul's judge. This crazy mess is all coming to fall on Paul. So what should happen here? What should happen here is Felix is saying, I'm not getting in any trouble with my crazy family of assassins. I'm going to keep them happy. And I'm certainly not getting in trouble with Rome. So everything about this mess ends with Paul being killed. Unless God's working in their heart. 
the only reason he's not dead. So God prevented harm for two years. It says in verse 22, but Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, you think, how'd your father-in-law die again? He killed an apostle? You think? Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, when Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending him to his needs. Treat him like an innocent man. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. Now, this is very peculiar. How many judges do you know call for the prisoner out of the jail and bring him in? I want to talk to him about God. Isn't this unusual? Would you, would you agree with me? This is unusual. And Felix is a governor. We have governors in Illinois. Have you heard of our governors? That's my case. Sent for Paul, heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus, and as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed, you think? And said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. Maybe I could get some money out of this. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. That's maybe my way out. He'll bribe me. I'll let him out. We go to lunch. It's all done. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus and desiring to do the Jews a favor because he was in trouble in Rome, Felix left Paul in prison. So God prevented harm for two years. It might seem like Paul was just being held corruptly for two years, but this was the safest place for Paul to be because those poor starving assassins were still hungry out on the outside. Okay, you think they're dead by now? Probably. Or the crooked priest got him out of that wicked oath. God prevented harm for two years. Write this down. Felix was a slave who became a powerful governor. Felix was a slave who became powerful governor. He was a palace slave who was promoted and freed, and his brother was buddies with the Caesars. That's how he got this post. He knows what it takes to make it in Rome. He's ruthless. He will do whatever it takes to stay out of trouble with his family and the Romans. He has no problem accepting bribes. So when he sees something he likes or needs, he goes for it. This is what makes his behavior so strange. Sure, he wants a bribe from Paul. He could easily get a bribe from the religious rulers. He's stuck. He can't release a religious innocent man. There's some suspicion in the family that uh, dad, who died 14 years ago, uh, was killed by God. He's afraid. He can't hurt Paul. He can't upset the Jews. He's frozen. He's frozen in place here. You've got to appreciate God's maneuvering here. So he is informed about Christianity and he is alarmed about what he hears and he's very curious. This is evidence that God is working in his heart. God's confronting his life. And how cool is this? God's giving this wicked crime family a chance. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? Paul is telling him, it says here in verse 24, about faith in Christ, the Messiah. Verse 25, as he reasoned with him about righteousness, which is given as a gift to crooked people, by God, and self-control, which means don't accept bribes, uh, and don't steal another man's wife, and the coming judgment, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble, Felix, Felix gets alarmed. So Felix was a slave who became a powerful governor. Write this down. Drusilla was a beautiful princess who was curious about Christ. Drusilla was a beautiful princess who was curious about Christ. She was drop-dead gorgeous. Married at 14 to the first king, 
Uh, Felix had to have her, so just a year into her queenship with this other guy, Felix hired a magician to go and put a spell on her or something and uh, woo her away from her first husband to become Felix's third wife. And it worked! What a fairy tale. So now she's like 20 and she's Felix's wife. And why on earth would Felix the governor bring his beautiful queen wife to talk to this inmate? Do you see how this doesn't make any sense unless God's working in their hearts? God's working in their hearts. They have to know their family is messed up. They have to know there's something to this. They have to know that her dad was killed by God. They have to know something about that. They are curious and concerned. We don't know more than that, but they talk to him a bunch. This is all very, very intriguing. Drusilla was a beautiful princess who was curious about Christ. Royals meeting with a prisoner and royals getting rattled. Who should be afraid in this meeting? The guy who's on death row. Who leaves this meeting afraid? The royals. That was disturbing. I'm afraid. I'm afraid too. I don't want to talk to you for a little while. I've got to think all this over. Yeah, go give it some thought. Because you're doomed. You're in the Herod family. They knew there was trouble. They were rattled. It's beautiful to see that even the Herods were on God's hit list. And I don't know if you were on trial and this guy could kill you like that. Would you witness to him? Would you tell this guy about faith and righteousness and self-control and judgment? What boldness does Paul have to tell the crooked, wicked, wife-stealing governor in the Herod family he needs to repent? That's courage. That's courage. Two years, God prevented harm. Felix was a slave. Drusilla was a beautiful princess. Write this down. They were alarmed but failed to take immediate action. They were alarmed but failed to take immediate action. He reasoned about righteousness, self-control, the coming judgment. Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. Two years, two years, two years. They knew they were in trouble. Their marriage was a scandal. Their family was a mess. Felix was ruthless. But the problem is, think of all they could lose if they take decisive action. If they truly become Christians and repented, think of the problems they could get in with their family. Think of the problems they could get into with Rome. What could it cost them? So they just hit snooze. And I think there are some people in this room right now, you're doing the same thing. Maybe you know enough about Christianity to be alarmed. Maybe you are acquainted with the way and you've heard things, but you haven't yet taken immediate action to repent and make Christ your Messiah. You have your reasons. They're probably worldly. And I just have to challenge you based on the story in this text that if you're saying not yet, it's not convenient, God is calling you out. God is calling you out. If you've been hitting the snooze button and living your life the way you want, man, this would change everything. God is calling you out because they had it all and they didn't do anything with the truth. Write this down. Will you repent and ask Jesus to save you from judgment? Faith, self-control, righteousness, and judgment. Judgment is coming, and I want and need you to know that. 
They still had time. You still have time. And we don't know if they finally repented, but strangely, we know how Drusilla's story ended. Historians record how she died. Felix and Drusilla had a son. In AD 79, we don't think Felix was there, but Drusilla and their son were in the Pompeii area when Mount Vesuvius erupted. There was a resort area for the rich. This region was claimed to be protected by Hercules himself. As day turned to night, the volcano erupted. Earthquakes in the morning, hot ash in the air by noon, the trembling, and day turned to night. The sky went dark, it rained hail and soot, then the air was full with poison gas, then the fires started everywhere. Several hours later, the ground shook and then exploded as the full eruption happened, and it was terrifying. Then the landslide buried everyone in its path, dead or alive. It took just 12 hours to cover the entire region. Everyone was entombed beneath 20 to 60 feet of lava, boiling mud, and molten rock. Because things happened so rapidly, the entire city was preserved under the mud once it cooled. And once archaeologists started digging it up, they discovered couples embracing, slaves still chained, jewelry worn by the rich, and even pets near the house. I wonder if Drusilla remembered Paul's words as her world, her rich, wealthy, royal world, burned down around her and everything faded to black. I wonder if she remembered Paul's words about judgment. Judgment is coming for you. You probably won't die next to a flaming volcano, but that's not the problem. The problem is the fire that lasts forever in the next life. And I need you to know that's your eternity without Christ. So I hope you listen when God's word warns you today about judgment. And I hope you repent of your sin and you find faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you trust God? Do you trust God for the salvation of your soul? Let's pray. Father, I want everyone in here today to be ready. To be ready for the judgment that is coming. We've seen terrifying things on earth, skies going dark, fires raging out of control, bloodshed and violence. We have seen terrifying things on earth. That's nothing compared to the eternal fire that awaits those who leave this life without Christ. Felix and Drusilla and all of the Jewish priests had their warning and they rejected it. Lord, I just pray for any in this room today who've been putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. Maybe they've been actively opposing faith in God and Christ, or maybe they've just been passively living out their lives, looking out for number one, trying to increase their bottom line. Lord, whether they've been actively or passively rejecting you, I just pray that today would be the day that they would be saved from judgment, eternal judgment, worse than all of the worst things that have happened on earth. Eternal judgment lasts forever. So Jesus, I pray that they would be convinced to trust you as Savior. Because Paul, the killer of Christians, risked his life time and time again because he saw the risen Lord. There's no explanation for that. 
There's no explanation for how he, a murderer, could become a Christian, and there's no explanation for how he was still alive after all of these attempts on his life. The answer is, Jesus, you're alive. You protected him because he trusted you. So I pray that there would be people online and in person here who are convinced today to trust you. In their own heart, may they pray with me right now, may they say this, Jesus, I trust you. I trust you. Save me. I repent of all of my sins. I turn from my wickedness and worldliness. And I call you my Savior and Lord. Lord, as they pray that in their heart, save them. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. And give them courage to tell anyone and everyone that they trust you as their Savior and Lord. Maybe prompt them to get baptized next week to tell everybody that the wait is over. They are publicly, confidently, courageously followers of the Lord Jesus. And anyone today who's struggling with trusting you about anything in their lives, may they see that you rescued Paul from certain death. And therefore, we can trust you with anything. We love you, Jesus, and we worship you. And we pray this in your mighty name.